0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW group void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Blob Talk Radio.
0: Hey there, Dr. Ross. Coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance. As always, it must be the first Monday of the month. Yes, it's March 6, 2017, and it's time for another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. I will be joined shortly by Tom Ambrose, at the very least. I know that Carol cannot join us today, and I don't know about Susan or Nina. So, it'll be at least me and Tom today. Um, And uh, we'll go from there. We'll see who else joins in. But you can call in if you'd like to. That number is 646-727-2691. I think you have to press the number one to get into the program. 646-727-2691. But we have a bunch of uh, questions to answer uh, today. And so um, let's get started. Uh, here's question number one this is an email that we recently received Uh, what are your thoughts on trauma and stress impacting learning there's a great deal of research that supports children's challenging behaviors are the body's natural response to responding out of the sympathetic nervous system unless we create a safe nurturing environment where these children can shift into the parasympathetic nervous system, it is physically impossible to teach lagging skills. Uh, Great point. The thing is, um, there are lots of kids who have been traumatized and are stressed out there. And the research does tell us that um, their challenging behavior may be at least partially due, traceable, to the trauma and the stress. And yes, we do need to create safe nurturing environments for those kids, Um, because if they are hyper aroused, then it's going to be hard to teach them anything, let alone lagging skills. But, the only but there is that, That's going to apply to a certain percentage of behaviorally challenging kids, not all behaviorally challenging kids. I think that sometimes it's tempting to read something in research and potentially over-apply it to all kids, over-generalize it. We don't want to over-generalize anything. One thing that I think we can safely say is true of all behaviorally challenging kids is that they are lacking skills and have expectations that they're having difficulty meeting. I think we can safely say that across the board. How they came by those lagging skills and how those lagging skills are making it hard for them to meet expectations is anybody's guess um, with trauma and stress being among the many potential factors that could be contributing to lagging skills and unsolved problems. Let's just not generalize that to all behaviorally challenging kids, many of whom actually do not have trauma histories, and that's not what's going on with them. We have now been joined by Tom Ambrose. Um, I bet you have some views on that.
1: Ah. Uh, uh- well, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, uh, I'll never forget uh, one of the most challenging students that I ever worked with was a, a, a high school student who had uh, a lot of lagging skills and unsolved problems and no family history of trauma. Um, the, the the essence of one of the conversations, I, well, I guess it depends on how you define trauma, but th- some of the conversations were... Pretty amazing, such as you know, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to withhold X amount of money from your college fund that we have for you, and and uh, and you know, it was a significant amount of money, and the student was not even phased. So it it really, um, you know, I think people have lagging skills and unsolved problems. I mean, and I I think that uh, um, I I love what you say about it, Ross. You know what what happens. You know where are chil- people or children on on a continuum of looking bad? You know when they're, they're you know the right side being the far end being that they're doing pretty well generally adaptively, and then the left side being you know as far back as uh, violence and and uh, imprisonment. Um, and I think kids can end up there no matter where they come from, and kids can do well from no matter where they come from.
0: Well, I think that. Um there is the thinking that we've all been traumatized. And maybe that's true. Um, You know, if I think hard enough, there are traumatizing things that have happened in my life, some of them as a kid, some of them as an adult. The big question is to what degree are those traumatizing traumatizing events affecting my behavior now? To what degree are they contributing to my lagging skills now? And to what degree are they making it difficult for me to meet expectations now? And um, while it might be true that we've all been traumatized in one way or another, trauma may actually not be the best explanation for lagging skills and unmet expectations in quite a few people who came by them through a different route. Um, Some of them might have been pre-programmed for those lagging skills because of, for example, family history. Now, of course, everything's 100% nature and 100% nurture, but some of us are predisposed to have certain lagging skills unrelated to trauma. So I don't want to dismiss the potential that trauma is a contributing factor. That would be lunacy. Trauma is a contributing Mm. factor. Mm. What I resist is the temptation to ascribe, and not that this emailer is doing this, but I have seen this done, and the comment that we've all been traumatized is a step in this direction, um, to attribute everything that is related to an unmet expectation or a lagging skill to trauma or stress. Now, to the rest of the email, yeah, we've got to create a safe nurturing environment where these people can shift into uh, a different mode. Um, I don't like to say impossible, but if you've got a kid who's all jacked up most of the time, as I said earlier, you're not teaching much. So definitely you've got to make sure the kid feels safe, got to remove the kid from the trauma, um, then you got to get to work on lagging skills and unsolved problems. Right, Anything further right, on that one?
1: Is there? Am I the only caller at this point, Ross? You
0: are, and you may be it for the day. I know that um, Carol is not joining in, and I've not heard from Susan or Nina. So
1: um, okay, it's just me and you. All right, great. Um, I just didn't want to. Cool, eh? Hog the airtime, you know? Oh god it's um, well, hog no, away. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh well well I You've think you got free reign. Uh, okay. So it is uh fascinating to me as the assistant superintendent of a relatively rural school district where we have an absolutely wonderful staff to see how different groups of people Respond to the stimulus of a kid not looking so great or not doing well um, uh, it, it's it's interesting for me to see kind of just as a, a sociological study almost of of kind of the response to the the stimulus of when the parents aren't looking so well, and what do we do with that or if a teacher is struggling with a child how do, how does the building support them and I think that that I, I continue to kind of think about this issue of teacher teacher burnout or teacher um, culture, that they work uh, unbelievably hard, and they have the lives of little children in their hands every day, and I just wonder um, what effect it would have if our government and our society placed an emphasis on making, having the teachers have a safe and nurturing environment that would therefore be transferred to our children. And so I think that that it's critical that we address... I would say that this is, if you ask my opinion, this is the most important issue that schools face. Ironically, in order to rectify the problem, people generally need time. And frankly, time is the most expensive thing, or it's the most expensive item in the school budget. So time time is so expensive. If we have a professional development day for a, a medium district of, uh, uh, I'm not even speaking of this district that I'm working in, but any district that has roughly 2,000 students, probably 400 employees, you're, you're looking at about uh, $65,000 just to get everybody in the door for a day. And so if it takes time for people to debrief and time for people to plan carefully to respond to children's needs, a half an hour a day for prep isn't cutting it no question about it so i th- i think i think in order to create what needs to happen i i'd love to hear some of my i wish my other folks in this group were on the call you know because they they inspire me each time not and you do too but but it's just nice to hear that we you know i think everyone feels i hear this this is a common theme when i talk to administrators because administrators a lot of us there's a group of us who really want to help teachers to be more effective and 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 we want to see kids feel safe and comfortable at school
0: and you got kids who are coming in with all kinds of stuff going on and you got to be sensitive to that but here's what i would say doesn't every kid kind of need a safe nurturing environment and if you have a safe, nurturing environment for everybody, doesn't that help out everybody, including the kids who need it more than others?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll tell you, I worked with this teacher who's highly trained in the responsive classroom model of management for classrooms, which is in some ways very closely aligned to to uh, the work that you're doing and, and that we're doing, Ross. And, and what I saw was that a culture of uh, trust and acceptance permeated this, this man's classroom. It was absolutely amazing. And and I think that that when if you have 8 or 10 or 12 kids who feel safe and connected, they're going to naturally be able to pull in and support the 4 or 5 who are struggling. Probably have 2 or 3 that are just struggling a little, and 1 or 2 that would struggle a lot if the the environment wasn't as healthy, and so I can't, can't say enough about how critical classroom management is, uh, and not just in the sense of having strict adhesion to rules and guidelines and expectations, but having a culture that truly has a high level of trust and respect. Is, it, it's very different to have. Not, I'm not talking about compliance. I'm talking about developing a culture of trust and respect. So let's
0: talk about the 19 states that are still using corporal punishment in their schools. Is that a step in the right direction?
1: Uh, Well, yeah, I I certainly do not in any way condone hitting a child uh, or believe that that is effective. Uh, So, no, I would say that 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 is... When I learned that at one of your trainings, I was honestly shocked. I I was a little traumatized. Uh, Thinking about your previous point, you know, it, it just seems archaic to me, and I I really feel for those people who live in those states.
0: Well, here's uh, where I learned that lesson. I learned it on internship at a hospital, an inpatient unit in Washington, D.C., where I, as a young intern, psychology intern, was given a kid to work with, and um, the practice on this particular inpatient unit was to um, use a... uh, Locked door seclusion. And whenever this particular kid was placed in a locked door seclusion, he would absolutely freak out. Young kid. Wow. And we then came to learn that um, he had a trauma history. And the trauma occurred in a closet. That's what's known as re-traumatizing the traumatized. And we certainly don't want to do that. I'm really sad to hear that. Well, it a very powerful lesson for me, and of course I was then in a position to make sure that that kid never got put in a locked door seclusion again, at least while he was uh, on my watch um, and on that unit. But I I think that uh, we re-traumatize the already traumatized frequently. And um, there you have it.
1: Yeah, I I would uh, agree that that's very, very concerning. Um, and and I think that I've never talked to you about this, but I'd be curious what you think. You know, I mean, in some ways, uh, the the triggers that you're setting up of people in authority um, putting someone into a secluded situation that way and re-traumatizing them, it's almost you'd almost think, okay, so the the kid's parent used to do this to them, and we did it to them once or twice, so it'll be okay. You know, we'll figure it out. But in my mind, it, it actually is—it's kind of like exponentially more traumatizing because now something horrible that happened has been validated by an outside person that's supposed to be safe. So the the uh, the trigger of being locked in a room like that, or having someone in authority put you in a room, so it's one thing to have your the most important person in your life, your caregiver, do it. It's another thing to have another person do it. And I I I have to say that like I. I would think that that would be uh, um, pretty hard for that kid to, to bounce back from for quite a while. If uh, ever. I'm thinking the term PTSD, yeah, the PTSD term is coming to my mind. Like right. a form Well, and the of other PTSD. interesting
0: thing is um, what the research also tells us is that you don't have
1: to be
0: the person who is directly receiving the uh, improper or harsh treatment to be traumatized by it. There are kids who are traumatized just by observing it, even if they are never on the receiving end of it. And that could be any kid who's watching it. Of course, some kids respond differently to others. Um, It's conceivable that some kids are cheering people on. But in general, given kids these days, they are more likely to be thinking, what are those adults doing? Um, And is this what's supposed to be being modeled for me? and um
1: well then they're more like, I thought we
0: talked uh, about yeah. empathy in our open circle this morning is this an example of that
1: uh, 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 right right so the, the so we've got all kinds of complex social things happening at the speed of light right you know uh the kids picking up on the vibe that there's incongruence in the in the in the the way people are being treated we value this but we're going to do this anyway right so that's horrible and then there's this secondary huge trauma of my parents locked me up in this room and now you're doing it to me too as a punishment for when I can't comply because I don't have the skills to comply right and and I and I think that 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 you know it it, it you know I you talk sometimes about cognitive distortion Ross but but I think that there's also I I mean I'm I'm kind of you know I I'm kind of making this up but like there's a there's a I don't know if you have an, a, an official term for it but I think of it as Uh, social incongruence or social distortion where adults are walking around saying one thing but completely doing another. And and I can think of some examples that I'm not comfortable sharing here, but I'll kind of say some that might be kind of easy, like a parent looks at the kid and says, we don't have money for this, this, and this, but then they turn around and buy something for themselves that they really don't need. The kid knows what's going on. Um, uh, or parents say, you know, we, we really value, uh, education, uh, but you don't have to do your homework tonight. I mean, those are little tiny things, right? Um, I get concerned about that because I think that a lot of times people forget that kids don't have the pressure of making, making money and trying to make ends meet and, and maintaining their professional obligations. They, they really do have pretty wide open receptors, to, to like vibes or energy or, or congruence. And and I think that, that it's so hard for, I'm thinking back to the, the folks who are trying really hard in our schools, you know, it's so important for the teachers to remember that if they're stressed, the kids feel stressed. And that amplifies what's going on.
0: Tom, your wish has come true. I believe we have been joined by Susan McQuaig. Susan, is that you? Hey.
1: Yes. Hi.
2: It's me.
0: Hi, Susan. I found the
2: number. You,
0: you, caught us, you caught us in the middle of responding to an email, but it took us on to a – that the email was about kids who've been traumatized at school and can they really benefit from much until they're in a safe environment. And then um, I asked the question, so what does that say about corporal punishment? at school, is that the type of safe environment we're talking about? And obviously the answer is no. No,
2: um,
0: we We actually use restraint procedures at school even more often than we hit kids at school. And um, while there are people who like to say that restraints create a safe environment, that has not been my experience. I usually experience restraints as an act of desperation that occur in the heat of the moment in response to behaviors that are caused by a highly predictable unsolved problem that we haven't solved yet. And that we do it several hundred thousand times a year tells us, boy, that's a lot of unsolved problems we could be busy solving if that's what we were busy doing. So. You caught us in the middle of, as they say in the movie, The Incredibles, in the middle of a monologue, but um, (laughs) anything.
2: That's great. Uh, Up here, actually, we have NVCI, which is Nonviolent Crisis Intervention, which is a different way of dealing with um, holds and stuff on kids. So it's interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: Shall we move on to another uh, email that we can all do here?
2: Sure.
1: Sure.
0: This, This one has... Um, uh, a few questions in it that I promised we would answer. I'm not going to go completely in order. Um, And this is someone who's read the book Lost at School, or Lost and Found, and is asking some questions about the content of that book. Um, So here's one question. Um, Sometimes You can do plan B without necessarily doing an entire ALSEP on a kid. The question is, when is it okay to do that? And um, if you guys don't mind, I think I'll answer first because I'll answer with what I always say. But I'm betting you both do plan B with kids all the time without necessarily having done a full ALSEP. Mm -hmm. I I recommend people use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems in frequent flyers, kids who we know are going to have a lot of lagging skills and unsolved problems because it helps us organize the effort, it helps us prioritize, it helps us think about what we're going to be working on and what we're not going to be working on. Those are crucial ingredients in kids who are going to have many lagging skills and many unsolved problems. But that's not every kid in the building. Every kid in the building is going to have an expectation they're having difficulty meeting at one point or another. But if they don't, if, if this is not a chronically challenging kid, and those are the ones who usually have long lists of lagging skills and unsolved problems, then you don't have to do an entire Elsa on the kid as a prelude to doing Plan B. Just do it. But mm-hmm. now you guys get to weigh in.
2: I would agree. I, 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 I think with the, somebody who's learning how to do it, we absolutely need to go through the set first because they need to understand how to, how to do an AllSup, how to prioritize what that looks like and how to split. But um, like for me, the other day I just did one with a child on the autism spectrum, and it was quick because he was, being, he was out of control. He got calm, and then about an hour later I brought him in so that he would remember, and we had a great Plan B conversation where he came up with a solution, and he was so excited with it. But again, that was um, it was kind of like a a Plan B, emergent Plan B. Uh, but it was it was very successful because when you know the question that you're going to ask, and I think the also helps to create that question. So I think you do need to do it. But for people who've done it a lot, I think that you can get away with the odd one not doing it.
1: Uh, so I think any- too that yeah, I, yeah, I think skills. The, the skill level of the person implementing Plan B is a critical component, but mm-hmm. I also think that, that I, I always talked about it through, like, the RTI process, you know. So, like, Tier 1 is kind of kids that just generally need a, a a conversation about what's happening and what's what's working and what's not working and how are we going to solve this problem. and And so, like, you know, you might have one kid that's kind of struggling every day to... To uh, get out their math book and get focused on math, and you have a quick plan B with them. Hey, Johnny, I noticed you know you're struggling with uh, getting your your math book out. What's up? Nah, no, blah mm-hmm. blah blah. You know I hate math. This isn't cool. And okay, well you know my concern is that you're missing your math time, and you have the conversation, and you work it out, and you come up with a plan, and it works. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't do the Alice up on that kid. I'm just applying the process to to classroom management and relationship building. Tier two though is the kid. It still isn't getting out the math book a week later, and it's getting worse. Then I might get out the office up and start writing some things down and thinking about my thoughts about what, what what's working and where and when and how to work on this skill. Tier 3 to me is we're full on. The kid is really having a really hard time with it. and yeah, At this point, we've even got you know some guidance or social work where people are actually working with the kid to, to uh, solve problems in a, a more intimate setting in addition to whatever work I can do as a classroom teacher. And really, tier four is when none of that has worked and it's really still not going well and you're looking at special education. Okay. So I think that, you know, that, thank you, but, but I think that, that I, I always tell people in the RTI process that that also works with what we call a student assistance team. So around tier two or three, you're, you're in the student assistance team and you're filling out the up together on this kid with everyone's concerns and perspectives on the table and, and then someone's gonna start having plan B conversations with this kid to help uh, improve the skills.
0: Mm-hmm. Guys, ready for next question? Yep. Sure. Also in Lost and Found, I wrote that consequences, adult-imposed consequences, but also natural ones, teach basic lessons about right and wrong, but that most kids with behavioral challenges already know uh, the basic lessons about right and wrong. So the question is, which kind of students don't know the difference between right and and wrong. And what comes to mind for me there are um, kids who may be, this is rare, psychotic and are not in their right minds and therefore cannot access what they know. They may know it, but not in their current state of mind. And um, kids who some people might call very low-functioning for whom... um, Right and wrong is blurrier. And here's what's interesting. This is why we wouldn't ever want to be opposed to adult-imposed consequences, at least under some conditions. They might be all we have with some low-functioning kids as a prelude to getting them squared away on participating and solving the problems that affect their lives. So... um, That's my take on who might not know the basic lessons on right and wrong. What do you guys think?
2: Well, we just had um, three um, refugee students coming in from Syria. Mm, Great example. And I think they they have a different mindset on what is right and wrong because they are in the moment trying to survive. And I think Mm -hmm. those are things that we need to teach. And I think that's where... um, I believe it's it's really important to teach. And I think I'm going to come back to uh, Dr. Joan Durant, who I was talking to last week, and she said that discipline is teaching. So it's not about disciplining a child if they're not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's about teaching what that looks like, feels like, and sounds like. And I think that's really important. So we've got these three little ones. They're in kindergarten, and they are just Mm -hmm. running outside, and they're Mm -hmm. taking things Mm -hmm. from kids, Mm -hmm. and they're running and taking other things from kids because that's how they survived. And so it's all about teaching. And I think that's another group. Great example. Oh, I thought that was, Tom?
1: Oh, yeah, I love that. I love what you said about the, they're running, mm-hmm. running to take things, running to survive. I mean, they're doing what they know.
2: Mm-hmm. They're exactly. communicating,
1: really. Yeah. They
2: are. And uh, it's, it's been interesting. We've had them in the school for three weeks, and already they are not running and taking things because they know that there is enough for everybody. And that was our teaching, is there's enough in the room. You don't need to take the Lego from somebody else. There's, there's lots of Lego, and uh, it's interesting. It's, they are just uh, increasing in their knowledge uh, just unbelievably. It's so much fun to watch them. I was so excited to get them into our school, and um, the parents are just so thankful, and it's just so great. It's just such a wonderful opportunity for us. it
1: oh, sounds amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I guess there's also very young kids, like in preschool, who've never been in school before and don't know how to sit still in a circle and um, don't see the point. I wouldn't call that not knowing right from wrong. I would call that uh, not being especially well acquainted with the expectations and, in the case of some kids, not really seeing the point Mm-hmm. But I think those kids do know right from wrong. I just think that they are finding some of the expectations to be either new or interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I, I, I think one thing that you said to me a long time ago, Ross, that I, I believe, I, I don't know if I can quote it accurately, so I'd love to hear if you could correct me. I, I, I remember you teaching us that um, very few kids, very few, actually cannot meet the expectation. So your example of like a, a psychotic student that can't access their prefrontal cortex or their ability to make decisions, um, it, there's a difference between not knowing and not being able to do it and not not uh, having the skills to do it. Mm-hmm. And I fought the old habit to say not choosing to do it. Does that make sense? Like that's the old habit. Um, I, I think that very few kids don't know what the expectation is. I think one thing I did notice, though, that we talked about once, Ross was, you know, <clears throat> if a kid has a uh, a lagging skill or an unsolved problem in this area of behavior, and they're struggling at school, uh, a lot of times they they kind of uh, what was the way that you put it? A lot of times they they uh they they really do intrinsically want to do well, but they've shut it off to the point where other peop- they can't share that anymore mm-hmm. the the i don 't care syndrome uh, mm-hmm. the story I just heard about these kids running to get their needs met isn't really doesn't feel like the i don 't care syndrome
2: no
1: no it's, it's not. more it's more i don't know any better, right so I mm-hmm. think we just have to be so careful when we're assessing.
0: Yeah, I see I don't care in kids who've been overpunished for a really long time, and, and they just don't think it's ever going to be any better. And mm-hmm. some of them have given up hope, and some of them are taking the stance, look, y'all can, um, y'all can thump on me as much as you want. The only thing I can really do is show you that it's not affecting me.
1: Right, right. I can show you that this isn't working.
0: Now we have a caller. So oh. I'm going to hold off on the other two questions from that emailer and go to area code four one six. What's on your mind today?
3: Hi Ross, how are you? i have I'm a well. Question. Yourself? I'm good, thank you. I have a question about a child. Um, he's got recent issues in the after school program. He confirmed with mom he's got no, no changes, no behavior issues at home, no changes, no behavior issues in his regular kindergarten classroom. He's four years old. However, in the after school program, um, he's been acting out. Just on Friday, he threw he found a rock and I guess they're like Discovery Center and he threw it at a teacher's head and he was like bleeding on his forehead. This this child is smart. He knows. He knows what's up. He doesn't normally stick out at all. Um, however, we've had a transition of about, since January, there's a maternity leave, so there's been three different sets of teachers since January. I'd say that's been the only issue. He transitioned very difficult, um, a lot of difficulty transitioning in September to the new environment, but about a month in, he was adjusted. Um, I just don't know how. what kind of support can I provide to him, I've spoken extensively to his mom and and to his own teacher. And his teacher says that she that the child tends to put walls up. Um, and and actually she brought up um, your methodology to me, the the teacher and the mother. So I'm just seeking some some advice on what you think. He's not a like he's a normal kid, but he acts out and does behaviorally weird things. Like last week as well, he. There was two pairs of children's sunglasses sitting on a bench, and he went
0: over and broke them both and then said, I didn't
3: well, know who if, they
0: were.
2: Just odd If and, we're going to stick and with and the objective. model, I
0: mean, the first thing I would say is that I work with a, a bunch of normal kids who do some pretty outrageous things when the demands of way the way environment outstrip their skills. Right. Um, but if we're going to stick with the model, this is a yeah. kid. The question came up earlier, would you do an up on every kid? The answer was no, but this is a kid I would do the ALSIP on. Okay We need a list. we need to get a good handle on the kid's yeah. lagging skills
3: okay
0: We need a, a list of the expectations the kid is having difficulty meeting okay. um, he may uh, so the the putting walls up piece I'm always interested in because the teacher putting basically walls says up you
3: have to she basically says as a new teacher comes in because this happened because his e c e in the kindergarten classroom changed as well. And the teacher said to me, you basically have to prove yourself to him when anything changes. And then once, well, these are,
0: once you prove these yourself, are
3: interesting good. You that's just his teacher, right.
0: Right. right. Uh, these are very interesting theories that adults are employing to try to explain okay. why the kid's doing what he's doing. But um, uh, I'd rather hear it from him. And, and by the way, how we word the unsolved problem has a great deal to do with whether we're going to be saying that the kid puts up walls, because if we are trying to talk with him about his behavior, you're going to get walls. But if we're trying to talk with him about expectations he's having difficulty meeting and we're talking with him about those expectations proactively, we greatly increase the likelihood that the kid's going to talk to us. Mm-hmm. So Agreed. I think that the model probably has something to do to help this lad Um, on the surface of it I can't tell you how you should support this kid because um, I would need to hear about him through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems but I'll tell you what I'll make you an offer are you ready then then we'll let Tom and Susan uh, weigh in Um, here's your offer do the LSIP on the kid and call us back on the program next month if 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 you'd have to move on them before that obviously but if you want to call us back once we have that information, um we can probably help you out. But let me shut up here and let Tom and Susan weigh in.
1: No, that sounds great. I w- I would love to, to do, I'd love to help. So I'm just, I'm all in, right? You know.
2: Mm-hmm. Have you done an all set before?
0: I think we lost our caller. She's no longer okay. showing up on the board.
2: Because she, I, what I heard what I heard was that she maybe uh, she'll call back in. The, the principal or something had said you might want to look at this. I don't know that she's actually done one, which can be a little intimidating unless you've gone through it with someone. So that would be a good idea.
0: And that walking tour for educators on the Lives in the Balance website mm-hmm. will walk you right through it. People find it, it to be is very fantastic.
2: helpful. Mm-hmm.
0: We've just lost Tom. People are, I wonder why callers are getting dropped from our program. I don't know. <laughs> no. Nope. I, okay. I, I now we have get another home, caller. So. Uh, hold on. Let's see who this is. Hello. You're on the air.
3: Uh, I'm back. Sorry, I don't know how I got disconnected.
0: <laughs> we don't either, and Tom got disconnected too. Who knows? Maybe it's the software. Okay. But
3: um, I'll take but, your uh, advice, and I will. I'll take a look at the OSLOP uh, or whatever. I'm sorry. we don't know what you call it. But I'll, I'll take a look at that, and I'll try and do the assessment with um, some colleagues of
0: mine. Great. You know, I think it
3: and what, the, Susan the, 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 saying,
0: what Susan was sorry. saying what while you were off the air is yeah, that I'm trying there's, to a walking tour, there's a walking tour for educators on the Lives in the Balance website. Okay. It'll teach you how to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved mm-hmm. problems. It's not... Okay. I would say that it's not an intuitive instrument to use. So if you just try to wing it, it may not go well. But if you listen to the 45-minute audio program on the walking tour for educators, it'll give you a good start. And if you need help with it, we can help you with it on the next program if you like. Very good.
3: And would, I, would you suggest I work with uh, the mother as well for this?
0: You might want to oh, get the interesting it. thing. Well, the unsolved yeah. problems you all are dealing with at school are the expectations yeah. he's having difficulty meeting at school. So it right. um, wouldn't be tragic to get her weigh-in on things that are school-related at home, perhaps homework, be, or perhaps getting to school on time. But um, I think the main people who you want to have be involved in the discussion as it relates to the expectations he's having difficulty meeting at school are the people yeah. who are noticing that he's having difficulty meeting those expectations at school.
3: Mm, that's a very good point. Okay. Okay. Let's
0: let's let's see if Tom and Susan have other things they want to weigh in on here on the same thing. Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say that Tom, I Susan, have found in the ahead. past that um, if you bring parents in too soon, it makes it too difficult to do the all up. So if you do the all up, yeah. as as uh, Ross was saying, with the teacher and and other members of your staff that are involved with this child, it makes it easier okay. to find out more about what's going on for him in the class. Okay. Very good.
1: Yeah, I think I Thanks think it's again. uh, yeah, it's also important if you're working with parents to teach parents about the model before you engage them in the work. Mm-hmm. I know the mom's um, familiar
3: with it because she's told the teacher and the teacher told me about it, which is why I called you guys. Okay. in, Actually. Oh yeah. great. Yeah. Oh great. Yeah. Okay. His so. Mom, yeah, his mom's worked with him a lot with you guys and has like coupled the books. so she's the one that's brought it to our attention actually. Great. But I'm
0: glad she did. Yeah.
3: yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm
0: so that you got a huge leg up with that out. then.
3: Okay, thank you very much.
0: You're welcome. We appreciate you calling Bye. in and we're here every month on Mondays at the exact same time. So, you're okay. in the I'll Eastern try time and zone. I every month then. Feel free. Right.
3: Thank you very much, guys. Have a good day.
0: You bet. Thanks for How calling. Are you too. Bye-bye. Let, let's go back to our earlier email cuz there's two other questions and we're going to be able to get them in here. Here's the third question. Um, The CPS model doesn't explicitly teach the lagging skills. uh, On a lot of the lagging skills on the ALSEP, there's no technology for teaching those skills directly. The question is, does does, does he mean that teachers aren't equipped to teach these skills and thus need an ed tech to do it? The answer to that question is no. Are lagging skills that teachers can explicitly teach The answer is some of them, but it's not the difference between teachers and clinicians or ed techs. It's just that some of the lagging skills on the ALSIP lend themselves to being taught explicitly and directly, and some do not. So um, some skills are going to be taught just by doing Plan B. So you're getting, as I always say, a two-for-one sale here not only are you solving the problem with the kid, you are also teaching skills at the same time. But some skills you can explicitly teach, language processing and communication skills, some social skills. Um, Those are the primary categories in which skills could be explicitly and directly taught. And the person I always refer people to for teaching of that kind is my friend Michelle Garcia-Winner. Some wonderful materials in her social thinking model for not only uh, helping kids acquire those skills, but also teaching them the concepts that are going along with those skills. And let me now turn to question number four because we're about to run out of time. Um, In Lost and Found, I'm not seeing the connection between some of the lagging skills that are checked off and the unsolved problems listed. What gives? Well, here's the deal. The lagging skills are the springboard for thinking about unsolved problems. But it is entirely possible, and in fact likely, that when we say in a meeting, okay, we've checked off difficulty-making transitions, shifting from one mindset or task to another, that's the first lagging skill, that we're going to hear about unsolved problems that may or may not have anything to do with that lagging skill, and that's okay. All we care Mm -hmm. about is that the lagging skill helps us see the kid through the prism of lagging skills rather than a lot of the other things we've been saying about him. And the unsolved problems are things we thought of when we were thinking of that lagging skill, but the reality is we don't care if the unsolved problems people come up with are traceable back to that lagging skill or not. Both are the real McCoy. He really seems to be lacking that skill, and that really is an expectation he's having difficulty meeting. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, we don't really care that much if there's an explicit link between the lagging skill and the unsolved problem that we thought of as we were contemplating that lagging skill. On that note, we're going to have to call it a day. Thank you, is well, Transference, right? Yet again, I'm glad yeah. we got all four of those answers. We got a caller in. We got another email answered. We did well today.
2: Excellent. Thank and you. I had a monologue. <laughs> yes, and you yes. have.
0: We caught you monologuing, as the guy says. <laughs> all right. Mr. Incredible and in the Incredible. Well, I'm monologuing <laughs> too. nothing to feel bad about. Which we right. both have a lot to say, right, Tom? Uh, uh, yes. Thank <laughs> you both. We'll be back next month. I'm all right. Bye. Okay. Take care. Bye.